Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. I didn't go 30 or 40 yards, and that bull elk is, sit, is laying there in the snow looking up the mountain. Well, I'm downhill from him. He's looking up the, up the hill. Why? Because that's where the wind was coming from. I slipped up right beside that doggone thing. Now, I have my rifle in my hand, of course. I've never thought of this in my life. But that thing turned his head like that, looking at me, and I'm as close as Kyle. And, and his teeth are gritting, just, <laughs> you could hear it. And when he did, I grabbed that left-hand horn. I said, don't you. And about that time, he comes up, and I turn and point blank right in his chest. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inman. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle Lee. What's up, everybody? Just wanted to take a minute to let y'all know a few things before we get to the episode. If y'all are enjoying the first couple of episodes and are excited about hearing our new episodes released each week, make sure you're subscribed and following the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, if you want to support the show, there's two things you can do that would really help us out. One, of course, leaving the podcast a nice review goes a long way and helps people find us. And if you leave us a five-star review, screenshot it, and send it to us via email, we'll send you a free Ozark podcast sticker in the mail just to say thanks. The second thing you can do to support the show is to go check out our Patreon website. The link is in the show notes, and we've got lots of cool stuff for y'all over there. If you sign up for the White River Club, you'll be able to watch the raw and uncut full-length video episodes with each of our guests. You'll get exclusive discounts on all of our merch, and we'll send you a new and unique Ozark-inspired sticker every single month. On top of that, we'll even give you a shout-out on our next episode. So there's lots of stuff there for y'all to interact with us and for us to interact with you. And of course, always feel free to reach out. Now, let's get to the episode. Welcome back into the Ozark Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Veet, and I'm joined by two special guests today, Inland co-founder and one of my very best friends, Kyle Plunkett, and his grandfather, Dr. Gary Reniger. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk with you, Dr. Reniger, and excited, Kyle, for you to be on again. You know, we had you on a couple episodes ago telling your bear story, and um, that, that story actually took place on Dr. Reniger's land um, out in Huntsville, and we spent a lot of time out there, so I'm excited to have you on here. And um, real quick, just to address the audience, and, um, and, and to you too as well, talking about why we wanted to bring you on the podcast, obviously, you're Kyle's grandpa, and, and we've, we know you well. Kyle knows you well, of course, um, and I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, through hunting and fishing and just all the things that Kyle and I get to do together. Um, but just so our audience knows, we, we wanted to bring you on because I think you are a really, really great example of um, an outdoorsman who lives in the Ozarks who's been like a lifelong learner of the outdoors and has spent your whole life in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And 
for anyone who listened to our first episode, we talked actually about people in the Ozarks who have spent a lot of time in the outdoors and, you know, have, have developed and accumulated a lot of knowledge over the years. And a lot of those stories kind of get buried and lost in the Ozarks and they don't get told and, and not a lot of people get highlighted. And I think you're a really great example of someone who's spent a lot of time in the outdoors, has a lot of great stories, and we don't want to lose those. Um, so we wanted to have you on and just kind of share, share this time um, to hear those stories and, you know, just kind of pass on some stories from generation to generation so things don't get lost. Um, so as we go through the podcast, feel free to share as many stories as you can think of that come to mind. Just, you know, whatever, whatever comes to mind, feel free to go for it. Um, and, and also to our listeners, we can guarantee that about 75% at least of this content is totally true. But there, I know there's a <laughs> portion of it, you know, who knows, out in the woods. Yeah, definitely. Some of the, you know, some of the best stories always have a little bit of exaggeration from, from time to time. Or it's not a great story. Yeah, that's what makes a good story. Exactly. So with that out of the way, just so everyone knows what we're doing, and we're just telling stories tonight, um, with that out of the way, to get us started, Plunkett, um, what, what makes this interview special to you with your, with your grandpa here? Uh, multiple things make this interview special. I think the first thing being I wouldn't have my love or appreciation for the outdoors if it wasn't for, I'm going to call Dr. Inniger now Papa for the rest of the podcast because that's how I know him. <laughs> that's that's what my, our heart language there. So, And you do they, that too, Kyle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I never know what to call you because you, you call he me calls Papa. you Papa. You call me I'm Papa. Like, You're not my Papa, but that's okay. sometimes it, it feels, feels like, like you are. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I wouldn't love the outdoors if it wasn't for Papa and his influence um, in my life and all the many, many, many hours we've spent in a deer stand together or walking fields together, shooting at small game or trying to catch fish or any of that kind of stuff. So number one reason, love for the outdoors. Number two reason, um, the way that Papa was able to connect the outdoors and the natural world with um, the love of our God and what it looks like to worship him in created space and know that we are human beings and human bodies and also in a, an actual world that is created and has uh, substance to it. And so I kind of interacting with the outdoor world has brought that level of worship up in my life. Um, and then just third reason, because of all those things and many, many other things in my life, uh, we have named our first daughter Rinegar after in, in <laughs> Papa and Nana's honor. Um, and we'll, we call her Ren, but she uh, she's getting a shout out at eight months of age on this podcast. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I hope I hope to pass on as much of the knowledge as Papa has passed on to me to her, and, and so she can have a love for the outdoors and love mm. of family oh, yeah. and all the good memories that that come out of uh, the Ozark Mountains. Yeah. We've already got a little pink twenty two in in Leiden for her. So. <laughs> I love to hear that. <laughs> She's gonna. I'm sure she's gonna use that all the time when she gets a little bit She'll older. She'll be a straight shooter, man. I tell oh, you what. she will. Oh, oh definitely. Um, so, Doctor Reniger, Papa, um, if if you'll allow me to call you that. That's right. Um, I've I've heard from a lot of people, and um, Josh Matthews specifically being one of those. He was for anyone listening. He was um, our first interview guest that we had on the podcast, and he's mentioned you. I've heard stories from Kyle, and you know, spending time with you and hearing your own stories. You're you're kind of somewhat of like a mountain man, and you've you've spent your whole life in the outdoors, and you've just kind of developed um, really a a wide array of just just a wide skill set in the outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, just anything like that, woods craftsmanship, um, if that's even a word. But you you've just learned a lot about the outdoors, and um, one of the things that I just wanted to ask you about is 
how did all that start? Take me back to when you were a little kid. Have you always been into the outdoors? Did you grow up hunting and fishing? Tell me, tell me a little bit about your, your background from a young age. Okay, the, uh, the, the first time I remember hunting or fishing either was when I was in the first grade. We were in El Paso, Texas. My dad was a career military man, so he was home a lot and he was gone a lot. Okay. But he loved to duck hunt, and he would take my younger brother and I on duck hunting trips with him on the Rio Grande River. And uh, I remember that. And, of course, we were a little bit young for fishing. Yeah. A few years later, we ended up in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. That's probably 14, 12, 14, okay. 15. And we got into uh, saltwater fishing. Ooh. And, man, that, that just, you know, took off from there. We spent a lot of time on the St. John's River and the uh, where it dumps into the ocean and all that mm. fishing and so on. So uh, in between there, uh, my grandfather in North Carolina loved to squirrel hunt. So we would go stay with them and all that, and the boys, we'd all get together and go squirrel hunting. And a few, few times we'd go coon hunting at night, oh, uh, which was very different. And it's pretty cold up there for that, Kyle. You hunt with dogs? Uh, yeah. Dogs? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. Did he have his own dogs mm-hmm. that were trained? He had, he had, a, he had a couple down. dogs that they were using at the time. Okay. Then in Louisiana, when my dad was overseas, we'd be with my grandmother in Louisiana and had an uncle there that had squirrel dogs. Okay. And so he would take my brother and myself, because and, uh, dad was gone, take us squirrel hunting with his dogs. Man, that's so cool. So that was fun. Then... When I get into you know college age, basically Billy's dad was really my best friend. And, and Billy's your wife, just and Billy's my wife. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, married for fifty-seven years. Fifty-eight years. Oh, mm-hmm. Fifty-eight years. And uh, I spent more time with him than I did her, probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he loved <laughs> to fish, and I mean, at the drop of a hat, he'd look over and say, "Let's go fishing," and man, we'd be gone. I love it. And it was nothing down there. At that particular time, to go, go, he and I would go to the lake and kill it and uh, catch a hundred large brim was not even you know that big a deal. It's fun. Yeah, I didn't realize how unusual that was until I moved into Arkansas. Yeah. And they don't have those kind of fish there. Yeah, <laughs> man. So a lot of different places you just mentioned: yeah. Louisiana, North Carolina, Florida. Which which are some of the? Where do you feel like you spent the most amount of time? Um, just in the outdoors in, in the Ozarks in here. The Ozarks. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I've been here since '71. Okay, so from so you moved around a lot. You said military dad, so you you had a lot of moving. Um, what brought you to the Ozarks in '71? Uh, well, Billy and I both we're both from Louisiana, same same town. Okay, and neither one of us had a desire to go back there, and uh, we liked the mountains and this. And uh, we I took a residency in Kansas City. For one reason, it gave me two years to look over Northwest Arkansas, mm-hmm. okay. and then uh, you know God just made it very, very plain that this was where we were supposed to be, and there's never been another a doubt about it. So we moved here in '71, uh, and no regrets. Yeah, been here ever since. <laughs> ever since. And you opened up your your practice here, mm-hmm. um, and obviously Dr. Renegar is your name. So what what kind of doctor were you, or are you? I guess. Okay. Uh, after dental school, I've got actually got three years training and my residence was in periodontics so basically if you're building a house i'm the foundation guy okay uh daniel's dad would send me a patient that has all kind of gum problems bone loss and all that okay and i would get it healthy get the patient healthy and yeah. send them back 
to, to him. So it's a 100% referral based from the uh, other dentist. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. And so that's kept you here since 1971. You love the Ozarks. Um, what What is it about the Ozarks that you think kind of drew you in and sucked you in, especially, you know, being someone who's not from here? What was it about this area that you just kind of gravitated to? Well, number one is mountains. I mean, we just we just love the mountains, and uh, we looked into hot springs and some various other areas, and uh, thought this was the best place to raise a family. Mm-hmm. You know, it uh, back then Fayetteville's a little bit like Mountain Home is today. I mean, when you get down to it, you yeah. know, it wasn't okay. what it is today. You know, right. it's just had this boom ever since we came almost. Mm-hmm. But then we had the lake. You know, we can leave the house right here in 35 minutes. I'd be on Beaver Lake, right? And we can leave the house here in 55 minutes. I'd be at the cabin in Madison County. Yeah. And uh, you know the the availability of things like that. And of course, you got the university, and we used to make all the games, the base basketball, football, and that type of thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually something that um, Josh Matthews again on our our second episode, first interview episode. He mentioned when he lived in Louisiana, and and he was in New Orleans. What he appreciated, because he grew up here in Fayetteville, was the the availability uh, and the access to the outdoors. Whereas him living in a big city and just living somewhere else, he had to drive minimum an hour to get outside of the city limits oh, yeah. to go fishing. And yeah, you do have in Louisiana, you've got the saltwater fishing, and there's there's a lot of stuff that comes with that too. But the the you know, variety of different activities you can do in the Ozarks mm-hmm. is, I think, one of the things that makes it it special. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you agree? Oh yeah, I sure do. Yeah, I sure do. Yeah. Um, so when, at what point in your life do you feel like you, um, started taking the outdoors seriously in the sense of like, oh, I'm an outdoorsman. This is what I love to do. Or did that just kind of develop over time? It pretty well developed over time. After we uh, moved to Fayetteville, uh, we developed some friends in church that happened to be sportsmen. And, uh, so it it was just kind of a, a natural thing. So we used to. Uh, we'd go to Kansas pheasant hunting, and uh, we'd go fishing different places in the states and that type of thing. And uh, so it just kind of evolved over time. And but primarily started with uh, people, you know, guys in the church. Yeah, yeah, that's a great place to start. Obviously, there's a huge community, and being around here, there's a ton of outdoorsmen. I know that's how Kyle and I have come to know each other over the last couple of years is through the outdoors and, and making relationships and you just end up spending so much time with people mm-hmm. when you're going hunting, when you're going fishing, because, you know, especially in a cabin, like if at the end of the day you go hunting for a couple hours, but then you have six hours, mm-hmm. eight hours, 10 hours to kill with nothing to do, <laughs> no TV. And you just end up talking and hanging out. So I, I, I think that's, it's definitely, that's the experience I've had as well. Um, just, just being around other outdoorsmen and, Getting to know Kyle. I feel like that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of how our friendship started too. Yeah. Because we were friends a little bit in high school and then we're friends well into college before we both realized, oh, wait, we want to get into fly fishing and bow hunting and all the stuff that none of our other friends are doing. Yeah. So let's just try and figure it out together. Yeah. It's just over the years. Now we're getting pretty good at it, I guess. (laughs) Enough to try and start a podcast and a website. I I think you're both pretty good. (laughs) We do what we can. We, We learn, we strike out, you know, we try to learn from that. We come to you. We ask questions. See what you you would do different. Um, was that that's actually a good point? I um, I think it's a lot of people 
sometimes don't get into the outdoors or they don't learn about the outdoors because they don't necessarily have someone to do it with. Mm -hmm. You know, you almost have to have someone kind of introduce you to things, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it's duck hunting, fishing, someone who kind of knows a little bit about it to get into it. And then you can really get into it once you learn a little bit and you get that exposure. Did you have someone in your life who kind of exposed, exposed you to a lot of different things or did you just kind of happen into things on your own? Pretty much happened on the own, and uh, but I've had relatives that were involved in hunting. Uh, I've, I've got a nephew that's just an avid duck hunter down in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. Uh, I, I guess I got more involved once we settled down here than the, anywhere. I changed schools thirteen times before I got out of high school. Thirteen times. Thirteen times. Wow! And so I wasn't anywhere long enough to develop some real long-term friendships yeah. to do things like that. That makes sense. So so probably it really started more when I moved here. Yeah. And Go ahead. The, for the context, you were post-grad dental student with three daughters at this point. Yes. Youngest was two or three. Newborn. Newborn. Uh, when you a newborn and one, a, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. When okay. we went to when you first residence. Moved, when you first moved to Fayetteville. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. Two, four, and six when we moved to Fayetteville. So you're a little bit older. Um, I'll be 80 my next birthday. So no, 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 say you were a little, a little bit, bit older, older. <laughs> when you were first, like, really getting into kind of outdoorsmanship in the Ozark Mountains, at least. Like, you grew up hunting and fishing, and probably like the average kid in your time and day did. Right. right. But it wasn't until you're a little bit older, and I mean, had a family and a career, that you were like, oh, no, this is something I really, oh, yeah. really yeah. want to do. Yeah, and, and, and our girls, they've gone uh, camping out and, Places out of Durham, and mm-hmm. we were camping out on a cliff one night and heard a bear, Uh-oh. and went in doubt about it, you know, things like that. Uh-oh. And uh, but so we were doing Scary things sounds. like that. Now they didn't get into the hunting and so on, but, right? But uh, the outdoors, yeah, yeah. So what what do you like to do? You know, you've been in the Ozarks for a, for a long time since the seventies. Um, you've kind of built that community here. You you've made some friends that. You can go do these things with. Obviously, you know it helps that your your grandsons and and um, your uh, son in laws have been outdoorsmen as well. Um, what are some of the things that you like to do now? Uh, hunting, fishing. What are your favorite pursuits here? Hmm. What's the favorite? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> well, I just love to be outdoors. Number one. Okay. You know, I really do. Yeah. And uh, his favorite pursuit is big rocks with a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> Working man, hey, let's, let's move those rocks. <laughs> Get those out of there. But I, uh, we used to pheasant hunt quite a bit, and that was would not we cannot do that in Arkansas unless you go to a a little farm, right. which we have taken Kyle and Jacob and the boys. They have six grandsons, yeah. So we take them over there and uh, pheasant hunt and this type of thing, and that's just really a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I just thoroughly enjoy that. Uh, I won't even take a gun; I just watch them. Mm-hmm. Because they're on the other end of this thing, learning, and a couple of them were from Texas, and they're pretty much city boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, not anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you smacked that out of them. Yeah, yeah. We got we we, we taught them right. See. Yeah. But um, I enjoy I enjoy the hunting, uh, the deer hunting, mm-hmm. and all more than anything, just the the family, the get together, that type of thing. Okay. The hunting is, you know. And that can be boring or it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's all part of it. Yeah. And uh, I do I do like fishing. Uh, at this stage, I don't do 
as much of all of it as I really like to. Right. You know. Yeah. When when do you feel like you were um, like spending your the most amount of time hunting and fishing? Oh gosh, back when Kyle was all oh, started it when he was ten, and up really up until they started getting married, getting out of college, getting married, and this type of thing, because it's a lot harder to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just from time. So that period in there from. Like I said, Kyle was 10 up until they were, you know, 17, 18. Wouldn't you say that was probably when we were doing the most of it? Oh, definitely. You know? I mean, it was every Friday night after a football game. Oh, We were packing up the truck (laughs) from the football game to go straight out to the cabin. Yeah. To then hunt all weekend to come back early before school on Monday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) School and work really messed up sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. it really gets in the way of being (laughs) out in the woods. It gets in the way, man. It really does. Why do we have to do with those things? (laughs) Uh, what do you have? A, do you have a kind of a story in mind from those couple of years? You know, it sounds like maybe about a decade, basically, from when you were ten to seventeen, twenty, that kind of age. Do you have some favorite stories from that time of just being out there? I know you have a cabin. We can talk about your cabin here in a little bit. Um, but any favorite stories? Deer stories? Hunting stories? Well, one of my favorite ones was when Kyle was ten and his little brother was eight. That was the first weekend that they uh, hunted. And so on Friday, Billy and I went out with the two boys and got our deer stands all ready and camoed and, you know, make sure everything was ready to go. And uh, the next morning, I was hunting with Jacob and Kyle's dad was hunting with him. And uh, both of them got a deer. The next morning... Both of them got another deer. Wow. So here we had an 8- and 10-year-old yes. that thought, man, this deer hunting's nothing. Yeah, this, you know, this is no big deal. What's yeah. the big Well, we decided that they were going to hunt every weekend for the whole season, and by the time the season was over, they found out how fortunate they were that first weekend. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, They put it in perspective. They, we, we changed their perspective pretty quick. Yeah. But they were very fortunate. And uh, one of the things is we decided on the get guard, I did, I guess, that if we're going to do this, then... Uh, I want these guys to do the whole thing. And so I would tell them, don't shoot anything you don't intend to eat. Okay. And number one, if you shoot it, you're going to skin it. We're going to take the meat off the bone. We're going to process it with a grinder Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yep. Wrap it and put it in the freezer. So you're going to do the whole thing. Yeah. Kyle, there's been times when we'd have four or five or six deer, and it was cold as could be out there. And That's hard work. That gets to be hard work. So they've had they've developed a real appreciation for the whole process, mm-hmm. not you know just killing a deer and go hauling it somewhere and let them take care of the work part. Right. And uh, why why is that to you in your mind? Why is that important to instill that kind of experience in in young men that are ten, fifteen? I think I just think it makes them appreciate the sport better. You know the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't do it over any different, would you? No, not at all. You know? Wouldn't at all. And we hadn't cut off a finger or anything yet. I mean, you know, it's really gone pretty well. <laughs> Only got close a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> a couple times. Yeah. But uh, the processing kind of became a family deal because we would cut the meat off, put it in a, in a cooler, and we might, we're under ice, and we might wait one or two or three days, and then we'd get together in my barn here yeah. and uh, start the... Had a big old long table, and we'd put paper on it and start the whole process. Yeah. So somebody would be cutting the fat off of it, and then somebody would be cutting it into strips, and somebody would be putting it in the grinder, and somebody would be wrapping it up. Yeah. Putting it in the freezer. And that, that was good. Yeah. 
I feel like that's such a different experience than so many kids, young kids have growing up. And, um, you know, I think about, I've got some nieces and nephews and, you know, they, they live in Houston and, and they love being outside, but they don't, they don't always see, you know, where meat comes from and, you know, how to process an animal into food that you can actually eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think that that's something that is, it's cool that, you know, you, Kyle, as, as being a young, young man and growing up, like you got to see that. That's something I didn't really get to see a whole lot until I got into kind of high school, college. Um, so it's just, it's cool to kind of mm-hmm. have that perspective. I do think it's important. I agree with you. I think it's something that you kind of appreciate the whole process more mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from doing that and kind of getting dirty, getting bloody, you know, get, going through the mess to, to actually get the finished product. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you another part of that same story that same weekend. Now, this is the first time these guys have ever hunted out there. Okay. And uh, Friday afternoon, we took the four-wheeler and went over to a neighbor's cabin. And when I tell you this guy and his nine brothers are hillbillies, that's an understatement, okay? <laughs> okay. And make a long story short, he had shot a bear. And Who, he had, who is he? This My neighbor, this his guy. name was James. Okay, got it. And so James had shot a bear. And what had happened, they had permission to go across some of my land to get to this area. And his dogs chased the bear into a cave. Okay. Well, the dogs went in the cave. Well, he tells, and the other two men that were with him tell the story, that he got worried about his dogs, so he crawled in there. Oh, no. (laughs) And about that time, the dogs came out with that bear right on their tail. Oh, no. And he shot that bear with a twenty-two Magnum. Pistol hit it right between the eyes. Oh my God. And boy, down it went. So they drug it out. They, they uh, gutted it. Yeah. And they rolled it down the mountain to the bottom. But it was so heavy, they couldn't get it out of there. Right. So he was over at his house trying to get rid of a, a mule that he had taken over there that had gone crazy around that bear. Okay. And so he said, I need a four wheeler. So I said, Hey, just a minute. We'll go back to the house. We'll get a couple four-wheelers, and the boys and I will come help you get it out. Mm-hmm. So we did, and we hiked back in there, and it was rugged, man. We got to the bear, and this thing was big. Yeah. So we took a sapling of about four or five inches, about five, six feet long. We tied a rope around the bear, and we had two men on each side pulling that thing out of there. Oh. We finally got it to where I could land to where I put my four-wheeler. I couldn't go any further. It was so rough. Right. So we put it on the four-wheeler, took it to a truck, took it up to the top of the mountain. Well, we were standing around this truck talking, and Kyle's dad came out, and, and we are just talking. And, and so I asked, oh, well, James, I said, well, James, uh, he told me that he had shot it with a bow. And so I looked over there, and I said, James, what caliber was that bow you shot that bear with? And he says, I told you it was a bow. I says, yeah, well, I don't want you to think I'm stupid enough to believe you either. <laughs> and about that time, his brother leaned over and said, a twenty-two Magnum pistol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, the problem is it was bow season. Bow season, yeah. And so if anybody had taken that bear in or something, they would have just, you know, who knows what they'd have done to that man. Yeah. And he was, he was no spring chicken then. But get this, <laughs> it would have broken the state record all Two pieces. We estimated that bear weighed 750 pounds. No way. It was eight. We strung it up by rope, flat-footed, strung up. It was eight feet 
I held my hand up like that. There's another foot to the tip of his nose. And I got a picture to verify that. Yeah. You're kidding. Flat foot. The bear was flat footed and he was flat footed arm straight up. And it was another foot from the tip of his finger to the tip of that bear's nose. Oh my gosh. Eight feet. They would have, yeah, I would have broken every other concern. Now that's, that's the one that's on the cabin wall now. Okay. But it's only, but it's only about five feet. Why? Because when they process these things and go through all of that to make a rug or whatever, they shrink 20 to 25%. Okay. Wow. That's so a lot. I, I had a little discussion with a taxidermist, and uh, he told me just to go check the camera and everything. And there was only one spot on that bear, and that was right there. Yeah, right in the middle of the forehead. <laughs> and we checked the pictures and so on that we had taken. It was mm-hmm. the same bear. Goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, just shrinks up. So I got a picture of Jacob and Kyle stand sitting on that bear. You know, they thought this was the greatest thing they oh, ever yeah. seen, man. First you, weekend. <laughs> you remember that, Kyle? Oh, I mean, I say, to put this whole to put the whole story into like the mind's eye of a ten year old, ten yeah. year old being me. Yeah. Uh, first time, first time deer hunting, and I'd been told all summer long. My dad kept telling me like, "We're gonna go deer hunting," so I was just amped up. I had no idea what it entailed. I just Super knew excited. we were gonna be deer hunting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's we still had we didn't have the cabin yet. We were sleeping in the four wheeler shed, right? Mm-hmm. So deer hunting for me went meant pop tarts in the morning. Sleeping in a freezing four-wheeler shed. And it also meant I got to drink coffee, which was awesome because I couldn't drink coffee at home. <laughs> and uh, we, get, we roll out um, from Fayetteville heading towards Huntsville. And I'm wearing a ski jacket because it's freezing outside. And Papa's like, are you going to hunt in a ski jacket? I was like, yeah, yes, sir. That's all I have. Because you can't hunt in a ski jacket. So what do you mean? He goes, it's bright red and it makes too much noise. We've got to oh, go no. get you some camo. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we pull off to the Walmart. Uh, and I get my first set of camo, which was Walmart camo, and it was full cotton. So it was not warm, but it was camo. It's camo. And I remember getting my camo suit and just being thrilled. I got mittens that have the little, you know, the little, uh, it's like the glove with the mitten top that you can pull back. That pulls back. Yeah, to shoot. I thought those were the coolest. Yeah. Uh, Have these boots. And we stop at Granny's Diner on the way in and eat a big uh, chicken fried (laughs) chicken or chicken fried steak dinner and eat pie and all this. So I'm already... I mean, we're like two hours in. It's like, this is the best weekend of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if we see anything. <laughs> I'm eating pie and I have camo. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the coolest. And, uh, yeah, we get out there and we hunt and we shoot the deer and we pull the bear out and all the crazy stories. But I, reflecting back on it as an older man, I realized there was a lot of cool things happening. One, we were being exposed to just a, a lot of interesting things that happen right. uh, in, the Ozark, in the Ozark woods. But, two, um, I think there's a lot of – kind of a lot of stories, especially now in the world we live in about most men not having a rite of passage into manhood. So they go out searching for it in their own way. And it could be mm-hmm. career. Um, it could be substance abuse. It could be whatever it may be. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, depending right. on the, the personality of the person. But I, I feel like those years of, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 out in those woods was, if anything, was just a lot of fun with my dad, brother and granddad. But it a step above that, it was actually a rite of passage into mm-hmm. calling into being the man that I I knew I had to be. Yeah, and that was not that was intentional some ways, and in some ways it was as simple as I looked at the man Papa is and looked at the man my dad is, and I'm like, oh, I want to be like these guys. I'm going to do things like yeah. they do it and that kind of thing. And so that's your role model. Yeah, <clears throat> I remember uh, Papa gave me a knife. First knife I ever had was a little buck knife that he bought at that Walmart too. And I was at home. I could, you know, I couldn't have coffee and I couldn't have knives because I'm a ten year old. And right, uh, out sure. at the cabin, though, I can drink coffee and I can carry that knife. Yeah. <laughs> so I wore that knife like it was a pistol in an old western film. Like, nice. I was the coolest. I had a drooping, uh, drooping belt and it hung on my hip. And I was yeah. like, 
anything in these woods, I'm killing. <laughs> I got a knife now. I'm a bad man. Yeah, I'll, I got a knife. I'll kill a mountain lion with this knife if I have to. <laughs> but yeah, I remember pulling those, pulling that bear out. I remember getting soaked uh, and wearing that cotton camo. I was freezing so cold, cold. But I, it didn't matter. We had pulled out a state record bear out of the woods <laughs> that we couldn't tell anybody tell anybody about. So I may be wrong with this, but I think the state record at that time was somewhere like six six fifty, something like that. So you crushed it. Oh, it would have crushed. It. Yeah. Wow. Or I guess it wasn't you. It, yeah. to, be, to be clear, yeah. this wasn't your illegally taken bear. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's crazy. I can't even imagine what a 700-pound bear looks like. Literally double plus the size of the bear we pulled out of the woods That's this season. Yeah. That is insane. And at least, what do you think, three and a half feet taller? Gotta be. Does that sound right? Yeah, probably. Because we had that thing strung up and it was... Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It's about six feet tall and if we're going another foot... From eight foot, that's nine foot. Yeah, three foot taller bear. That's a big. That's a lot bear. of weight. That's a lot a of height. Bear. You're looking for the picture. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to see it. I've obviously I've seen the the mount that's in the cabin now, and it's it's perfect for the the spot that it's in in the cabin. Oh yeah. Um, how you got it kind of mounted up on the the frame coming across the the room, and it's like standing up in front of the window, in front of the caribou or the elk or whatever else. Oh no, that's a different bear. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's oh. this is the skin that's tacked up. The skin when you on come the wall. down the stairs. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay, you're showing me the picture here. That thing is a monster. Is there a way we could, uh, we could probably put this on the Instagram, right? Oh yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah. Well, let me, let me send this to myself. Real yeah. Quick. We will. Uh, we'll for sure show this. That's a monster bear. Yeah, and that's nice. Jacob. Was eight years old there. So dang, that's crazy. Well, honestly, I don't. I don't blame the guy if that if he was in a cave with a bear. I don't blame him for shooting it with a. a a firearm during bow season. These guys were mountain men. They they raised squirrel dogs, like I said. Mm-hmm. They raised mules. They hunt, and they drank a little. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Um, what what other stories do you remember from being out of the cabin, or um, maybe I've seen you know out of, out at that cabin out there in Huntsville, the walls are just covered in deer. Antlers everywhere. You walk in and you like you kind of got to take a step back because there's just so many different animals. What what's one of your favorite deer stories out there from from one of those guys? Specifically, one of the deers one of the deer you've taken. Yeah, give me give me a story that that you took a big buck out there. If maybe it's a doe, maybe your favorite story is a doe. I doubt it. I doubt it. But <laughs> well, I think one one of the my favorite stories was actually at at, at Witter when we had the other cabin. Oh, okay. At a little place. Yeah. And uh, I was away in the back of the property, and I had built a uh, a feeder-type deal. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we'd put stuff in it. But this particular morning I was, I had a tree stand, I mean a climbing stand. So I climbed up probably 14 feet, something like that, 15, and uh, was just sitting there enjoying the, the beauty of the woods. And I had the mountain came down, and there was a creek. And then it went back up and just leveled off in this area where the stand was. So I had a, you know, an open view of things. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden I hear a bunch of racket across the creek up the mountain. Mm. And I knew it was a deer. I knew it was deer running, but that's all I knew. Yeah. And finally I got to where I could see, and here was a doe being chased by this big buck. Well, it was so thick, I couldn't get a shot. They went all the way down into the creek. I couldn't get a shot. They came up, and if I looked straight ahead of where I was sitting, 
there was enough of a thicket there, and there was a couple places I thought I was going to get a shot. Right. And what happened, the land was flat, and then it dropped up. It was about a six-foot bank, and then it leveled out again. Okay. Well, the doe went over that, and just before the buck got there, I remembered whistle. And, man, I whistled as loud as I could, and that buck jumped up there and stopped and turned around and looked at me. And it was all over. Lights out. <laughs> Lights out. Wow. <laughs> and that's, I think that's the one that's in the study. In, okay. In there. Okay. Gotcha. How far was your shot? Oh, it was probably 100, 125, maybe 150 yards, something yeah. like that. That's pretty good. Yeah. You don't have a whole lot of shots like that in Arkansas. <laughs> Most of your shots are, you know, within less yeah. than 50 yards. Or- yeah. This, this uh, I don't think it's under 100. I don't. Just, you know, thinking back where that place was. Yeah. And, uh. And just fortunately, he he stopped. Uh, one of the one of the best shots I've ever done was just a couple of years ago out there, at uh, where you know where the field stand is. Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm in it. Okay. And I'm looking across, and the sun's kind of going down a little bit, and I could see the sun rays, you know, going through the trees. It's just beautiful. Yeah, pretty. And all of a sudden, I saw movement. And I looked real close, and I said, "That's a doggone cat, bobcat." Well, that old bobcat kept on coming and got right to the edge of the woods, but in about 10 feet or so, and stopped. Well, by then, I already had my scope up there and my rifle and was waiting. And uh, all of a sudden, he just kind of jumped forward a little bit and made a 90-degree right-hand turn toward the pond. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and when he did, you know where the tree is in the middle of the field? Yes, sir. Well, I put my rifle right on that tree to the side, and as soon as he came out, I let him have it. And when I did, he just tumbled. But then he jumped up and started running full tilt again toward that pond. So I shot him the second time on the run, and that was it. He didn't get up on that one. So I'm not sure there's enough left for me to have mounted. You know, we're we're still not sure he's in a freezer. But uh, that's probably two of the best shots I've ever made. Yeah, with a scope running. Yeah, running with a scope. On the run. That's impressive. Yeah. And uh, my daughter killed one this last year with a scope on the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You got some nice deer out there. I've uh, I've I've been lucky enough to see some. I've never taken one out there. Um, last year I saw one that was about seventy. I was bow hunting and it was about seventy yards, and it was you know it's just that's just a little too far to reach out and pull oh, yeah. the bow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. I know you've got some monsters out there, and the one that your daughter shot this last year, I know, was a was a good one Real too. Real nice, real nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got a story that Kyle had mentioned to me before, um, and it's a bow hunting story up in Colorado. Um, you had you had talked to me about that. What is that story? I want I want to hear that one now. Yeah, this is back when back before bow hunting was cool, and you and all your buddies would go out there, kind of DIY over the uh, over the counter <laughs> bow hunting for elk, right? You have one of those stories? <laughs> well, I never got one with a bow. That was with the, the one yeah. on the walls on, with the rifle? With, with the rifle. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of fun with a bow because i tell you what, it's, you've got the solitude, everything's quiet, there's nobody shooting a rifle around. you've got to get them up close. And you've got to get them 40 yards or less. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, anything, most of the people at 40 yards miss. 30 yards, they're pretty doggone good. Right. So if it's over 40, uh, John Sarkeesian was a world-class elk bugler from... Uh, Montrose, Colorado. Okay. And I was talking to him one day, and he said that if it's over 
40 yards. He said, most people ought to just forget it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just the, the adrenaline rush and all that that goes the with it. The shakes and everything. But I was, I was hunting with a guy from Springdale who was an absolute mountain man. And uh, we, we split up, and two things happened that was really fun. One, there was a, probably a 15- or 20-foot cliff, and I came out on the top part of it. And so I was leaned up against a tree and decided, well, heck, I'm going to just bugle a little bit and, or a little cow call and see what happens. So I did, and a little while later I kind of saw something off a little bit, and it was a spike elk which was totally illegal, but he had a spike. It must have been that long. Yeah. And so I said, well, heck, I'm in full camo. I walked right out at the edge of that cliff. And now there wasn't a tree or anything within 15 or 20 feet of either side of me. So I was in a broad, right in the open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I held that thing and was real still. And I would, you know, the, the cow call. Right. And then I'd just be quiet. That thing came up so close I could hit him with a slingshot. No way. <laughs> I mean, it was so much fun. Oh, man. Just to see. And I never did spook him. And he grazed around a little bit, and then he just kind of took on off. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a really a delightful time there. I, you know, it was out there, and I was in really good shape. I'd been jogging seven or eight miles a day, I guess, or every time I did. Yeah. And uh, so I had to, to be in shape to keep up with that guy. Yeah, you got there. I was back on the store, though. I was leaning up against the tree after that. I was went back, and I had my lunch and all this. Okay. And I decided to really bugle. Now, there's a difference in a cow call and a bugle. Okay? Okay. The cow call is generally what you want to do. Well, boy, I let out this big bugle, and I sat there a minute, and I had one answer me. I said, hmm, that's kind of neat. So I waited a minute or two or three, and I did it again, and I hear this one answered me. Well, this goes on for 45 minutes probably, and then I got bored with it and went on about my business hunting. Well, that night we were sitting at the table eating, and uh, Dennis was the guy's name. He had a cabin out there. And we were just talking and telling stories, what we'd seen that day and all that. And Dennis said, man, he said, I had the strangest thing, though. He said, I I had one that, boy, I, I heard this thing bugle. And I answered him, and boy, a few minutes later, he had bugled. He said, I kept waiting. He said, I was almost an hour waiting on that thing to come in, and he yeah. never did. He was answering my call. Y'all were, <laughs> y'all were talking to each other. Yeah, we, said, we took the time and figured out what time it was, and we were, oh, we were bugling at each other. Oh, Just gosh. two bull elks out in the two, woods. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Uh, uh, t- tell us the story of that one on the wall. Oh, the one on the wall. People think I'm crazy. And this one on the wall, for those who can't see it and are listening, is a is a seven by seven. Uh, no, I think it's a five by five. Five by five. Five okay. by five bull elk. Okay. Well, don't mean to oversell it. I, I haven't counted it in a while. <laughs> okay. It's a big elk. It's a, it looks huge. <laughs> yeah. There was a group of my friends from Fayetteville. We went on this semi guided hunt, which meant that they didn't guide you, but you they cooked. They had all the camping equipment. You just took your your gun and your luggage, and you went. And they would just drop you off. You know, you're on your own. Right. And it was just too expensive at the time for us to have a full guided deal. So anyway, we said, okay, here's the deal. We wake up at 4.30. Breakfast is at 5 o'clock. And we leave at 5.30. I believe that was right. And we wait for no man. We're leaving with, with he said, now, does it, do you all understand that? I go, well, he was right up front. We wait for nobody. Okay. <laughs> he said, here's what we're going to do. The, the, the horses will be saddled. It's going to be pitch black. All you have to do is get on that saddle, hold on to the horn, 
and leave the horse alone because he's got more sense than you do. <laughs> he knows exactly where he's going because right. you can't see a thing. Okay? okay? And all of that was totally true. Well, he had a gourmet cook, so that was number one. was really good. So we got up, and we went, and we went, I don't know how long we went up this mountain. It's called Sawtooth Ridge, south of Gunnison. Okay. It's the only time I'd been up there. So we got way on up in there, and he stopped, and he said, okay, you guys know who, I want the two guys that are in the best shape. Come here. Well, it was me and a friend of mine. And uh, he said, okay, I want you to go. There was a a little meadow, and it's just, you know, you could kind of make out the outline of a tree, and that was about it. He says, go to that meadow and go straight up the edge of it on this, by the woods. And the one guy, he said, I want you to go off to the right and told him, and he looked at me and said, now, Gary, I want you to take a, when you get to the end of this, the woods, it's going to be open, This and there's a bent, a, a saddle. Okay. He said, I want you to take a left-hand turn, and just before you go over the, the crest of it, look around, and you're going to see where somebody has stacked rocks, and they just sit right there. That's where they hunt. And he said, and I want you to look due east, and those elk, if they come up, they're going to come up on your right side. He said, now that's where we've seen them almost every time. Okay, so that's what I did. Got settled down, you know, in that little rock enclosure. And the wind was blowing. Oh, I don't know. I, I would say 30, 35 miles an hour at least. Wow. It was just, I mean, I'm at 12,000 feet. That's a wind. Yeah, I'm at 12,000 feet. Yeah. Okay? okay. And it's blowing in front of me, toward me. Well, I kept looking down there, and I looked down there, and, you know, the sun came up. I said, man, this is good prayer time. So I had a little prayer time and yeah. sat there, and I was looking down there. And for some reason, all of a sudden, I looked the other way, and here's a little herd of elk coming out of the woods on my left side. So your wind was blowing um, into them? It's behind them blowing that way. Gotcha. And so I said, oh, my gosh. So I very slowly got my rifle up and everything, and there was a couple bulls in the group. And I took aim at one. I said, oh, wait just a minute. And I put my rifle down. I said, the bigger bulls always hesitate. They'll let those stupid young ones go on out there and get killed or something. Yeah. They didn't, they don't get big for not being smart. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I just put my gun down and sat there for a few minutes. Well, they very, they were just walking. Kept walking very slowly. And there was a, the mountain goes over to my left and down. And there's woods. <clears throat> And I just sat there, and there was one that I could have shot. But he kind of stopped, and just a minute or two later, here comes this other one. Head up, horns back. This is five-by-five elk. I said, oh, my gosh. Mm. He didn't go 10 yards, and he stopped broadside. Oh, man. And when he did, I took real careful aim, and (laughs) nothing happened. Really? None of those elk moved. Now, I've had that happen before, and here's why. That wind was blowing so hard, they couldn't tell where that shot came from. They couldn't tell the direction. Wow. Because of the wind. How far was the shot? Just oh, for my- 150 to 200 yards. It wasn't over that, I don't okay. think. Probably right in that line. Okay. Did you hit and, Did you hit the elk? Well, yeah. So he, But I didn't know that for sure at the time. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Gotcha. I said, they ought to be he, running like scared rabbits. Yeah, he didn't drop or run. No, no, he, he just he stood just there. Stood there. Okay. He just stood there. Wow, that's wild. So, okay, buddy, so I took another real careful aim, shot him again. And boy, when I did, every one of them over the mountain and down the mountain, except him. 
he did a right hand turn going away from me. Okay. Well, there was a little ridge and I wouldn't be able to see him, so I shot again real quick. Mm-hmm. Then I hiked up there. I got one more shot before we went into the woods. Ah, rats. So now what do you do? You, you go try to track these things down in case you hit him. Yeah. Or do you go back and just sit and hunt? So I decided I would just go back, leave most of my gear there, just get my rifle and, you know, my shells and so on. And then I'd go looking for them. Just I waited probably 45 minutes before I started. But what I did, I knew they went into the woods, and there's snow on the ground okay. in the woods. Okay. And uh, so I took a big around uh, trail, more or less, and I came in down the mountain into the woods. I didn't go in where they went. They right. were up here. Yep. And so I went down. I went in the woods. I didn't go 30 or 40 <laughs> yards, and that bull elk is, sit, is laying there in the snow looking up the mountain. Well, I'm downhill from him. Okay, he's still alive. He's, he's still alive. He's, he's, check, he's, he's checking his He's checking his back trail. He's yeah. checking a predator coming in. Yeah, and what he's chase. doing, he's looking up the up the hill. Why? Because that's where the wind was coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that way, you know, he's he's smart. He's right. looking up that hill. I slipped up right beside that doggone thing. Now, I have my rifle in my hand, of course. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> I've never thought of this in my life, but that thing turned his head like that looking at me, and I'm as close as Kyle. And, and his teeth are gritting, just, <laughs> you could hear it. And when he did, I grabbed that left-hand horn. I said, don't you. And about that time, he comes up. You're kidding. And I turned and point blank right in his chest. You're kidding. Now, There's I no have way. no idea in this world why I grabbed that stupid thing. <laughs> oh, my god! But I did. And, and, of course, it was all over then. He went down. Oh, my goodness. Well, I had some nylon cord to always take. And so I... Took his hind and his front legs, looped over a tree, had him spread eagle like this where I could gut him. Yeah. And then I really checked him over. My first two shots, if these are ribs, was one here and one there. With, that was my first within two. two inches of each other. Within two inches of each other. Yeah. The second, the third shot, I chipped his uh his horn. as he was oh. running. Huh? The one as he was running into the woods. Yeah, when he went over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just missed him. And then the other shot, I got him on the other side, you know, because of the angle. Yeah. It was just a, it was kind of an angled shot. wasn't that good. So that thing had four 30-06 Nosler Petition bullets. And he got in a wrestling match. <laughs> and you wrestled him <laughs> to the ground. And so it was him. all over, man. Then the work began. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And so the way he's mounted out there in his cabin is like he turned like that looking at me. So he's mounted that way. Wow, I have a that whole make, new appreciation for that elk. I've seen it a hundred times. I've never heard the story. That yeah. makes more sense. I've always wondered why that mount is so aggressively turned. That's why and that makes sense. I He's mean, to look at he it. was laying down there. I mean, I was amazed. Yeah. And uh, either one of those first two would have been a kill shot. Period. Yeah. Period. It's just a matter of time. Right. So I talked to the the guide guys that night and tell them about it, and they said, "Listen, that doesn't surprise us at all." Mm, really? The year before, they had a guy came out there and had a special made rifle. And they, he said, that son of a gun shot a bullet four inches long. It was like 220 or 30 mm. uh, what, grains? Grains. Grains. grains grains in it. Yeah. I mean, it was a buffalo gun. Mm-hmm. He said that that guy hit a, bu- a, a, a bull elk 
either five or six times, and they tracked him a mile before they ever found him. Just that tough. Just that tough. That's wow. I just I couldn't imagine it. That's just incredible. That's insane. <laughs> how how did you get so close to that elk? That screaming wind, right? Well, the wind. See, the the wind. If he's laying down, the wind's coming from his right side up the hill. And he's looking up there. He's real intent. Yeah, right. So I'm coming in down the hill behind yeah. him. Right. So he's not interested in anything down that hill. And it's snow on the ground, so it's really quiet. Yeah, okay. So I just took my time, took my time. And I, you know, if he got up, I was going to shoot him. So Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Honestly. That was, that was uh, a, interesting. A moment of insanity. Yeah. Can we call it that? <laughs> it kind of sounds like it. you got to be kind of crazy to even yeah. get that close yeah. to an elk. Yeah. <laughs> at what point when you were sneaking up on him, at what point did you see him? Like how close were you when you saw him? And then how much distance did you have to I, I probably saw him as close as from here to the sofa. What would that be, 30 feet? Okay. Something like that, 30, 40 feet. What made you want to get so close to it? Like why, why did you I just, You know, <laughs> I, I was telling Kyle, you know, they talk about the adrenaline rush. I've never had it. Yeah. I've never had that happen. You mean like yeah, in any other types of hunting or in, did no. you have it that day? Mm. You still have never had it? Mm. No shakes, nothing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And I thought about it and I just, you know, looking at it, I wonder how close I can get that rascal. <laughs> <laughs> so you did it just because you could. I wonder how close I can get to that rascal. That's a quote. <laughs> That's good. That is hilarious. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Jacob's, uh, Kyle's brother Jacob went to on a mission trip to Zambia, and uh, I can't remember the name the, the, the adjacent country country, but Botswana is it anyway? And Angel Falls, the highest falls there is. Yeah, I've heard of them. And they did a bungee jump, and it was what three hundred or Something between three and four hundred feet yeah. down. Wow! And Jacob jumped bungee jumped off of that. Well, we didn't know about it until we got back. He got back home, and somebody, we got the video and looked at it. And we've got it if you want to see it. And anyway, the first time I saw him after that, I pulled him down, and I hugged him and I, in his ear. I said, Jacob, you know you're crazy, don't you? <laughs> and he says, yeah, and you know where I got it, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> right from you, big guy. You remember uh, that? That's good. I do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's good. That is, that's crazy. That's, um. That may be one of my new favorite stories. You actually grabbed an elk and then shot it. Amazing. I never heard that. I can't believe you never well, he had, that. Well, he had three shots in him. It, it's I a story only he can tell. That's true. I, I knew he was hurt, you know, or he'd be with the rest of the herd. Yeah, right. You know, as far as that goes. So I knew he was hurt. Yeah, he was going to die there. He's going to die right there. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. I wonder how close I can get to that rascal. Yeah. We got to make a sticker or something, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good And what surprised me is when saying. he jumped up. <laughs> I mean, when he jumped up, I dropped back about as far as me. I bet you did. I bet you did. It's a good thing you didn't get gored or something. Uh-huh. That would have, have been nuts. Well, you know the Lord takes care of widows, orphans, and fools. Which one are you? Well, I'm not a widow. I'm not an orphan. So that, that elk is sitting, it's sitting in the – I know we've referenced, referenced it a few times, the hunting cabin. Um, that elk is sitting the highest point of the cabin, and it's a two-story cabin, but the main – Stories all and the main levels all open. Yeah, uh, it's lofted. Yeah, and big, sitting above the uh, vaulted roof. Bit, yeah, really big cool. vaulted roof, open, hewn wood, that kind of thing. Sitting um, next to, I guess it's behind the wood stove, and it's now next to a mounted bear that's on a beam, 
my largest archery buck to date. Yes. And uh, some pheasants and ducks and caribou antlers and all kinds. Of, I mean, it's like the center point of, yeah. it's a focal point of the cabin. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, right, right above by that this window. big window. But yeah, tell us a little bit about why you wanted a hunting cabin in the first place, who designed it, maybe some oh, favorite, okay. favorite well, memories out there. That's, I mean, it's one of my favorite places in the whole world. Well, we had, we had 120 acres down at Witter. And I had a little house. There was an older couple that had to leave it, and uh, I bought it. They were living it full time, so it was nothing special, you know. It was, and uh, about that time, we started, you know, getting two or three, four wheelers and the kids and or the in-law, the son-in-laws, and all. Well, that's when these little boys start getting up a little bit older and a little bit older. And I told Billy, I said, "Listen, if we keep this place, somebody's going to get hurt because it was it was rough. Yeah, I mean, it's just rough." Okay. And uh, we had a couple of things with my son-in-laws that made me think that. And so we sold it. And then it was several years later that we acquired this, you know, out there. Yeah. And so my original thought <clears throat> was to just build a hunting cabin. Well, that was fine until my wife, Billy, started going out there with me and so on. And she got interested in it. And all of a sudden the hunting cabin became a family getaway. Mm, okay. So it grew, and Billy designed it. Oh, she really? should have been a draftsman or, or oh. an architect or something. Yeah, she really she's she's designed the one we're in here. I didn't know that. She's she's designed three or four houses. And, cool, uh, very cool. Our uh, the cabin is one of them. Yeah. And if you look at that, you know the size of the cabin. Yeah. It's thirty three by thirty or so feet, something like that. Mm-hmm. And you can sleep twelve people. Yeah. That's plenty for a big family yeah. like yeah. you got. <laughs> but a lot of that's you know the way she designed it and so on. Yeah. That's cool. What, what, um, and maybe, maybe it's a better question for Billy, but when you guys, I'm sure you guys talked about the design as you were coming up with it, what did you design it around? What was kind of the central idea? Billy has a knack of putting on a plan, putting the room where you really need it. Mm. How much time do you spend in your bedroom at home? Not very much. This would ought to be a small, one of the smallest rooms there. Yeah, probably. I mean, from something like this. I mean, you know. We're, and so we end up with two bedrooms downstairs, bath between them, and then a great room that's the kitchen and living area. Then upstairs, over that those two bedrooms, the floor of the bedrooms downstairs or the ceiling is the floor for the upstairs. It's all solid, and we have a queen bed and four, mm-hmm. four bunk beds, mm-hmm. yep. singles that I built. Then there's a bathroom there and there's a stairway going beside the bathroom and on top of that is a queen mattress. And so that's a lot of sleeping area. Yeah. But those areas are not real big because they don't need to be. Yeah. Yeah, they're minimal. It's a cool, I I really love the, it's like, I feel like it's like an open concept cabin, which open concept is like, it feels like it's a modern trendy thing that's happening in houses now, but it's like the cabin you were like ahead of the times kind of a little bit by designing it all completely open. Yeah. And those cool beams coming across, I love that. What kind of wood is that cabin made of? That's uh, a a type of spruce. The uh, materials, <clears throat> I'm trying to think. I, I think it came from Minnesota. Minnesota Isn't that right? Wisconsin. Going to Minnesota or Wisconsin? One, one of those. Yeah. Okay. And it's a type of spruce. It's a okay. big evergreen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spruce. Yeah. Huge tree. Yeah. It's and the, the inside and the outside, it's yeah. all, it's all 
log. There's yeah, no insulation. No, or no there's no, those, those, uh, those logs are, are six inches, six to seven inches yeah. wide. You don't need insulation. It's and so the inside is finished, and that's, you know, and the outside looks like a wall. It's called a D log. It's just one of those ways. But we researched it quite a bit, and we thought that really looks like the Ozark, Arkansas, you know, the Arkansas look. Yeah. And so we designed it. And then we sent that to the company, a company, Appalachian Log Homes, I believe was the name of it. Mm -hmm. Something that doesn't sound right, though. That would be Appalachian Homes. Yeah. But anyway, they took it and then drew it and everything and cut all the logs and labeled them, brought them down, and they put them up. I mean, they would do anything or everything, whatever you wanted. So they put the, I said, I want you to do everything. To the point of putting in windows and doors and kitchens and the interior. Mm -hmm. You take care of the exterior, get the roof on and all that, and we'll take it from there. Yeah. That's what we did. Yeah. And that that roof is uh, it's green metal, and you knew the deer hunting was going to be good. If when you're falling asleep, all the acorns are hitting it and just making a racket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was going to be good. You're like, all right, the, those deer are eating. Yeah. We're going to be okay. They got food. They'll be up and eating. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that cabin is really cool, and thankfully you've allowed me to spend a lot of time out there um, going hunting. And it's definitely, I know it's, I know it's blessed my life, and just getting to spend time out there with you guys and hunting. Um, maybe tell me about how it's blessed your life and, and your family's life. Well, it, it's been a a real family getaway. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really has, and uh, it, especially up to the point where guys started getting married and you know having a baby. Mm -hmm. And, and involved in business and all of that, which it just it just gets increasingly harder, you know. So from that reason, we've had to kind of we'll have this group here this time and this group this time and that more so. But uh, before, up until then, I guess we pretty well have anybody wanted to hunt and all that. Come on, yeah, you know, we just it was a it was a real family get together. Yeah. So that's that's the big thing, mm -hmm. you know. The hunting and all that's been good, and we worked at it. I mean, Kyle spent many hours out there building deer stands and seeding and fertilizing. and Still do. And still do. <laughs> yeah. You too, Kyle. Yeah, baiting bears. I've been helping yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Cutting, cutting, shooting lanes, all this So stuff. it's, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I just like to, uh, I'm, I'm very content right now to go out there and sit on that front porch with a cup of hot chocolate and <laughs> reminisce some of the, times we've had has been really good yeah it was it was a godsend mm -hmm. and uh you know we we need to learn in life that we really don't own anything mm. and what let, me, let me prove that to you yeah what do you mean there's a piece of land east of Fayetteville called slaughter mountain okay, okay. and that was owned by vera slaughter and her husband back in the 50s 60s 70s i don't know and I actually met her before she died. And uh, she sold it to a guy by the name of Myers. Okay. He put a dairy farm on it. And over the years, they died off, and it was sold. And a boy, uh, a guy by the name of Harris bought it. And Harris sold a location. We have Slaughter, Myers, Harris. Mm -hmm. Harris sold part of it to a guy by the name of Reniger, me. Mm -hmm. Then I sold part of that to a guy by the name of uh, Hurst. And he sold it to a guy by the name of Aarons, who sold it to a guy by the name of uh, Smith. No, no, uh, Campbell. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Campbell sold it to a family from Connecticut, and then it was sold to a guy by the name of Smith. And Randy and Miriam Smith and their two boys live there today. Okay. Okay, so I just gave you nine families. Okay? Yep. My question is this, who owned it? All of them. None, None of them. None of them. They all thought they did. So when you get into reality here, we only pay rent while we're here. Okay. God owns every bit of it. And it says he owns it all. It says thousands of hills. So when you really look at it, we really don't, quote, own it. Although our egos let us think we do. Sure. We really don't. Sure. See? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do see what you're saying. So that being said, then I think we need to, to, I once heard a man pray, a wonderful guy. He said, God, give me the grace to hold everything I have. And he clenched his fist with the grasp of an open hand. Mm. Never forget that. Yeah. It's good. It's good. So Bill and I wanted it to be used, not just by our family, but right. how many people have been out there with everything from honeymoons to bachelor parties to girls' parties to, to uh, church ministries and ministry. Inter- international right. get-togethers. and all Kyle's stuff. brother walked yeah. up to me one day out there, and he says, Papa, you know why God gave you this landing cabin, don't you? I said, no, why? He said, so I could do ministry here. Mm. <laughs> and at that time, he'd have 15 or 20 international students would go out there for weekends and stuff and so on. Yeah. So it's been used a lot like that. Of course, the older I get, the more other people are using it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's Which, fine. For those international students... There's some studies on a lot of international students who come to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Um, specifically, if they maybe worship another god or are a part of a different religion or something like that, will never step foot into a, an American's home. Really? They're just never invited in. We're just Americans are so poor <laughs> at, hmm. uh, at hospitality. And so for them to get to, for my brother to befriend them and all of that, that's one thing. But to invite them into even su- such a place as the Ozark Mountains and a cabin and all this experience that, you know, they're coming from who, who knows where. Yeah. And they're getting to ride foliers and hike mountains and play in waterfalls and be out in just this incredible nature. Yeah. yeah. All, be a hillbilly for a weekend. Yeah, hillbilly yeah. for a weekend, all okay. just in the context of community. Really I, don't know, cool. I don't know if I told you, Kyle, but I had one of those boys you are talking about was from Japan. And he walked up to me and said, I just want you to know that that cabin in Madison County played a big part of me coming to Christ. That's awesome. Really? Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Cool. And praise the Lord, man. Yeah. That's a yeah, it's a great segue. We got a couple more questions for you. Okay. Um it's a yeah, great transition. Um what is life in in the outdoors meant for you and your relationships, specifically with uh, relationships with your friends, your family, your grandkids, and then ultimately the Lord? How's that how's the outdoors kind of shaped and molded? Um, all those different relationships. Well, the, the, you know, all, over these years, since the 70s, I mean, the things that Billy and I really enjoy doing, you know, I've never been in a knife and fork club in my life. It's just not me. I'd rather be out by myself in the woods or with some friends or something. Yeah. So we started out uh, snow skiing with a, a group at our church at the time in the early 70s. And uh, that, uh, over the years, we did that for a long time. And we've had a group of guys from Fellowship. We used to go mountain climbing out in Colorado. Uh, I'm pretty serious. We went up to 14,000 a couple times. Wow. 
and uh, you, you know, with this type of thing. So all all of these things that we've enjoyed, I've enjoyed, has been outdoors, huh? My dad. My dad. Your, oh yeah, Daniel's it, dad. One, was, one of my hiking buddies there. Yeah, Daniel's dad. <laughs> Shout out yeah. to Hank Matthews. <laughs> oh yeah, Hank. I never will forget. We got to get Hank on this thing, Dan. <laughs> yeah, we were going up the mountain, and and Pastor Harold had a deal. You led for a while, and then you came to the back of the line, and some the next guy led. Well, okay, so. Hank had led, and he came back, and Gary Harrell was next. And then the next one to come back was me. And we're hiking up the mountain. I even, I can tell you, I even know where it happened. And, and Gary Harrell was still talking and all that. And finally, Matthew stopped. He turned around and says, Gary Harrell? He said, I can walk or I can talk, but I can't walk and talk. Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound like your dad? <laughs> <laughs> So there was a lot of uh, a lot of really good friendships and, and so on developed over that. And uh, Billy's uh, family and I, uh, we were kind of the catalyst, uh, taking them or going with them on ski trips and stuff like that. And I'd go down to go hunting and fishing with them. So it's played a big part in the development and maintain, maintenance mm-hmm. of re- relationships over the years. Yeah, uh, I'm going out on the the river with. Kyle here in two mm-hmm. weeks. Two weekends. Two weekends from now. And Billy's sister's going to fly up from Louisiana to stay with her while we go out there and do that and so on. Cool. Just the, the, those relationships have been uh, definitely fostered by our act, outdoor activities and so on. And you know, from a spiritual standpoint, I'm convinced that when you really look at nature, I mean the sunrise, the sunset, the stars, all of it, when you look at it, it's, it's a peephole through we, which we can really see the majesty of God. Mm. Now, if you don't believe that, just think of it the next time we have a real clear night. Walk out there and look, and you can make out the Milky Way. Mm. Yeah. How awesome that is. But the thing we can't fathom is that's one of billions mm-hmm. of Milky Ways. Insane. And the scripture says that God created this to reveal his majesty to lowly man, mm. right? Absolutely. So, Yeah, the heavens declare the glory of God. Declare the glory of God. We don't have an eye, any idea, yeah. <laughs> you know, how great God really is. Yeah. But I stopped in the Hubble telescope, mm-hmm. look at some of the stuff that they've come up with. My goodness. <laughs> man doesn't do anything that compares to that. So that's kind of the, the sense I've had. And uh, you want another real quick story? Yeah, I'd about love hiking. It. Love we're in Colorado. It. Hank's on the trip. And we're going to hike up to a thing called Hallett's Peak. Okay. And Long's Peak is 14,255 feet. Hallett's isn't. But at Hallett's Peak, when you get to the top, it's a 360-degree view. Long's is a brutal hike. It's a brutal hike. I hiked that as a ninth grader and wanted to die. <laughs> oh. And I've done it twice. I won't do it again. Yeah. And uh, But you can see Long's Peak off in the distance. It's a beautiful place. Well, we started out hiking from the from the base, and we're going up, going up, going up. And, man, it's overcast, and it's spitting drizzle, and it's just, you know, Terrible. You know, I just, and of course, we're having a good time, but still, <clears throat> and the reason, I'd been up there before, and I wanted some of the guys on this trip to see the view from up there. So your dad came back. No, it was Joe Horton. 
Joe Horton came back and we were talking. He says, boy, this is fun and all this. And I said, yeah, but I'm really disappointed. He said, I said, he said, why? I said, well, I was really looking forward to you guys getting to the top of Hallett's Peak and being able to see the view up there because it's absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've been praying ever since we left down the bottom that this rain would stop and, you know, things would clear up so we could could see this. Yeah. Well, it didn't stop. I mean, it kept, around, you know, kept on going. Well, when you get to the last part of Hallett's Peak, it's several hundred yards, just pretty steep. We got up to the top, and everybody's kind of looking around, and I'm not exaggerating at all. The clouds separated, and that sun came through, shining right in front of us down into this valley and Long's Peaks over there. It was absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And about that time, everybody in that group grabbed hands, and we had a prayer time right there. Prayer was over. The clouds closed, except rain and the rest of the <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is no exaggeration That's at all. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I, I mean, that was, a, that was an aha moment for me. Yeah. It really was. I was an old, old Joe walked up, and he said, listen, right here. He said, if I ever really need prayer, he said, I'm going to come talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, talk to me. You talk to all your <laughs> That's cool. That is a really cool story. Have, have you but, had uh, any, other, any other moments like that? Because I've had similar experiences, not specifically that, but when you get in the outdoors and you get time, especially when you're alone and you just have a moment, that's one of the things I love about being in outdoors, man. It's just getting in that place where, like, time slows down, you're alone, and you can just kind of take it all in. And and I, that can happen on any given day. On, like, the most boring Saturday morning, not even a good day to go hunt, but you're just sitting there and you, you see the world just as it is naturally and you see how God created it. Oh, it's yeah, like yeah. one of the, the things that's like, if you're ever having doubts or questions that you can always, for me, it's, it's one of my grounding points where it's like, no, but like there is a creator. Like there's something going on oh, here. It just that, offers a moment of clarity. Yeah. In some way. Yeah, I can't explain yeah, this in any yeah, other way. Yeah. Are there any other moments like that for you? That oh you yeah. Have? Yeah. Just, you know, I, I'm just, uh, Billy and I, we watch the sunset every time it sets almost here. Yeah. You know, I just, anytime there's a sunset or a sunrise, it's like that. And we can see the sun coming up right through there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the White River's down there. You can see a little bit of it. Say for listeners who don't know where we're sitting, they've built this house on the side of a mountain. How is your porch, does it wrap all the way around? Well, it's, no, it's just the straight just south the straight side. side. Yeah. Uh, a porch that overlooks the woods that Kyle and I have spent a lot of time in mm-hmm. deer hunting down to a huge field that we spend a lot of time fishing and trapping in as well yeah. <laughs> uh this valley um within the ozark mountains on the other side too and the white river runs right through it um oh, man, just beautiful. like the south side of fayetteville so it's beautiful huge open view all the pasture farm land oh, yeah. river yeah, it's beautiful stuff. and to, to stand up here sometimes especially in the winter and have the fog look like a carpet out there yeah and you can see round mountain over there a little bit it may be another one or two, and that's it. Mm-hmm. It is just absolutely gorgeous. So those moments happen, I think, often. I mean, one I'm yeah. thinking is with Kyle hunt, uh, fishing out on the North Fork, I believe, mm-hmm. and it was foggy and looking through it. In fact, you've got a picture mm-hmm. that I don't know who took that, but it was it's beautiful of Kyle doing this with, you know, casting his rod. Yeah. And it's muted because he's in the fog. Mm. And I'm saying, you know, 
It don't get any better than this. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, I love it. I love this morning, especially on the water with the fog rolling and it's so oh, thick. You can't see the guy beautiful. 20 feet away from you. <laughs> it is so cool. Well, one of the things back talking about the woods and the hunting and all that, that back when Kyle was young, and uh, like I said, we've had all six of our grandsons and, you know, all this involved in this over the years. But they kept saying, you know, boy, I wanna, I'm, a, I'm a hunter. I want to really be a hunter. Mm -hmm. And and this goes on for a while, I don't know, a year or two or three, whatever. And one day one of them said something about it. I said, no. And, you know, they look at me like I'm crazy. I said, I don't want you to be a hunter. Well, I want to be a hunter. I said, yeah, but I don't want you to be a hunter. And I said, okay, let me explain it to you. I said, I want you to be a sportsman. And Kyle mm -hmm. says, well, what's the difference? Yeah. I said, okay, Kyle, a hunter has to get meat or he hasn't had a good time. Right. A sportsman enjoys the sport, mm -hmm. the outing, the beauty of nature and the people and all of that that goes with it. You don't want to be a hunter. Mm -hmm. They're a dime a dozen. You want to be a sportsman. So now they call themselves sportsmen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I remember that lesson and have carried it with me because I, I could not. I mean, I've had years where I haven't got anything in years, and it's still every time I'm out there, it's just the best. And time. it's okay. Absolutely, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every now and then I'll have a deer come up and interrupt my sleep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> takes over your nap, takes over, <laughs> wakes you up. Now the sportsman piece—it's important too, with just. Uh, I don't know, caring, caring for the natural world and also being a sportsman and also being a hunter. If you are going to take the life of something, making sure it's ethical and done right and done well. And it's always a little safe sad. and all it's always that. a little Absolutely. sad. Absolutely. Yeah. As it should yeah. be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it should be. Yeah. yeah. Be. I think the the sportsman sees the life that was given and has kind of a, of a reverence for it where the yeah. hunter is just out there to shoot stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you take the last question. Well, I no, I think I think that's a great. I I, I like that point. I think it'd be a great place to close there. Um, I think that's a good lesson to kind of end on and just instill in people and kind of make people think about is like, you know, what what is the difference? What is a sportsman? How how can I apply that to kind of the way that I interact with the outdoors? Yeah. Um, so, we just want to thank you again for for coming yeah. on the podcast and just sharing some stories with us. You know, hanging out with us, Kyle. Thanks for inviting your, your grandpa. <laughs> To do this with us, excited to go fishing in a couple weekends, Papa. It's gonna huh? be good. Yeah, we're excited to go fishing. Where are y'all headed? Where y'all going? Gaston's. We're going to Gaston's. Oh, nice. the White River. We're, nice. we're we're doing it right. Nice. You're getting a guide and everything. <laughs> oh yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. This is our our yearly, uh, me, Papa, Dad, and then my cousin Zach, who I've gotten into fly fishing. We try to go once a year, do yeah. a fishing trip together. Yeah. Just to keep family close. Heck yeah. That'd yeah. be fun. Cool. We should take those rods, those old. Uh, I'm gonna those all. We should try those out. I've got some antique, I mean, antique, handmade bamboo rocks. Like 120 oh, years old. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, a friend of mine gave them to me. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. But, uh, you were going to say one last thing. In, in all of this, relationships are like a garden. And they've, they've heard this from me for I don't know how many years. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to cultivate that garden. Or it's gonna die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In our family, Billy's side of the family, and my here, she and I have been pretty much the cultivators, haven't we? Mm. You know. Well, now that's being taken over. You know, but 
and, and her family especially. We were, we were the catalysts. We were the cultivators there. Mm-hmm. And so I think in all of this, when we're doing things like that, I think we need to keep that in mind. They, they don't just naturally happen mm-hmm. for the most part. Somebody's got to kind of work at it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, so one last question for you then based off of that. What What is your expectation then for Kyle and, and Jacob and your grandsons and your grandchildren as as he's an outdoorsman? What is your expectation for him passing on and, and teaching the next generation? What, what do you kind of expect from him or, or hope that he does? Oh, I would, I would want them to pass the baton just – you know, overtly, intentionally teach, intentionally spend time. It's a lot more effective for me to teach Kyle a spiritual principle as a 12 or 13 or 14-year-old out here in the woods They sit down and try to teach him something out of a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would like to see him take the, take the opportunities to intentionally, you know, the Scripture says, when you rise up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, and when you're walking in between, okay, teach. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a lot more effective than assuming Sunday school is going to do it or whatever, right. you know, yeah. and take the take those moments. Yeah. Now, I remember that big old rock right out there. Do you remember sitting out there and me teaching you guys how to crack pecans with your hands? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there was another lesson or two that was taught that day, too. <laughs> That was the excuse to sit out on the rock and break <laughs> pecans with their hands. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. We're, we're glad to have you, and um, I'm sure we'll be spending a lot of time up, upcoming and going fishing and hunting Good. in the Good. coming years. So Yeah, yeah. all of our listeners won't get to see uh, all the off-the-mic time we're going to. We just get to keep that with yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's all we got for you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you leave a five-star review and email us a screenshot along with your mailing address to theozarkpodcast at gmail.com, we'll send you an absolutely free waterproof Ozark podcast sticker. To support the show and gain access to bonus content, full-length video episodes, exclusive discounts on merch, and free stuff, head on over to our Patreon website, which you can find the link to in our show notes. Check us out on Instagram and on our website at www.inland-us.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.